0: Thanks for joining us today for the Post-Traumatic Faith Podcast, a place where trauma, hardship, and challenge meet faith and hope for the future. Here is your host, Jill Riley.
1: Welcome to Post-Traumatic Faith. Season three has arrived. I am so excited to share with you this season, new guests, new topics, and some great conversations. Thank you so much for joining us. And here's today's guest. Welcome to post-traumatic faith. This is Jill Riley. Today we are joined with Tony Hickson. How are you? I'm
0: doing well, Jill. Thanks for your time today.
1: Tony Hickson from Finley, Ohio. Tell me about Finley.
0: So Finley for uh, any of you who follow the national football league is the home of Ben Roethlisberger. So uh, quarterback of the Pittsburgh Steelers, he made our, our little community famous. Um, I guess the other famous, uh, Story about our community is, is it, it's the headquarters for Marathon Petroleum, so okay, a small little community of about forty fifty thousand people, um, but we uh, we are the home to Marathon Petroleum, which is a Fortune twenty company. So
1: okay, um, so a, small, lo- a major employer in town, I'm sure.
0: Super major employer, yeah, yep, yeah, it's good.
1: Well, great, great. Tell me a little bit about your family. You have kids,
0: do. yes yeah, dogs, so- cats. <laughs> all the above except for cats. Uh, So married my high school sweethearts. Uh, We just celebrated our 23rd wedding anniversary this past weekend. So that was fun. Uh, Three kids, two daughters and a son. Uh, My oldest uh, daughter, Eliana, she's 16, just got her license uh, about a month ago, which has been good and bad. (laughs) Terrifying, (laughs) but great. Uh, She can uh, obviously help carry the load of carting all the kids to different places, but also terrifying at the same time. Uh, My middle daughter, Kaya, she is uh, a rising freshman and um, yeah, she's really musically inclined and talented. And uh, my youngest son, Everett, he is a rising fifth grader and we will be starting uh, pony league football here pretty soon.
1: Wow. Wow. Uh, You know, when our kids started driving, it was kind of terrifying, but everybody said, you know, once the first one starts driving, you're really ready for them to drive. Mm-hmm. And we really would. And we made an agreement with them. We'll pay your insurance and your gas. You just got to cart each other around. And I don't want to mm. hear any complaints about it. And they <laughs> did. God, Good. God bless them. All four of them. They, they carted each other around all over the place. Cause we were both working and you know, how life gets when they hit the teenage years and mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, they're involved in every activity and you find yourself uh, dropping them off more often than you are. You,
1: you know. want them involved, but then all of a sudden you realize you're a snack machine and a and a taxi service. <laughs> <laughs>
0: that's right. So you have four, four children? Uh, what I do. Uh,
1: 26, 24, 22, and 20. Right, and our great. granddaughter is two. Wow. So, well, that's And awesome. we'll be celebrating our 29th anniversary this year.
0: And turn, 50
1: th- and turn 50 this year. So
0: Wow. Well, you don't look a day past 29.
1: Well, thank you. Thank you. Good way to start an interview, Tony. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me a little bit about your growing up years. Do you have siblings?
0: I do. Um, yeah. I have one older sister and uh, her favorite claim to fame is Oftentimes when, um, when they see us side by side, they picture, they always state that I'm the older brother. Ah. So, um, she, she, uh, she is looks, looks a little bit younger than me, but nonetheless, it's not true. She is four years, actually four years older than me, but yeah, born and raised on a farm. My mom was a nurse. My dad was a factory worker and a farmer. And, um, yeah, I went to a little school district and, um, kind of middle-class white picket fence, the whole nine yards. It It was a good, good childhood.
1: Yeah. Great.
0: How about um, you? Where, where are you from? And what was your,
1: I am from um, North Idaho. I was born okay. in Korea and then adopted. Um, okay. And I ended up in North Idaho, um, extremely dysfunctional family, lots of trauma, um, lots of, lots of residual effect from that. And right. uh, then went to college, met my husband at 19, got married at 20 and started cool. having kids at 23 and chasing awesome. my career. And yeah, it's what I did. So
0: I like it. That's cool. That's
1: yeah. Awesome. Yeah. So, um, what, what did they love to do? What did, what did your parents love to do?
0: Yeah. Um, well, my dad, um, being a farmer, uh, obviously we spent a lot of time, um, you know, raising, you know, livestock and animals and also just making sure that the grain farm was, was producing, Uh, to the best of our ability, but it wasn't enough income. So we also did the the factory work as well. Mm So uh, we were pretty hardworking family. We didn't, Mm -hmm. didn't have a lot of vacations or free time, but when we did um, you know, we, we, we lived it up. So my parents were very, very um, key on making sure that we had a good experience um, outside of the state of Ohio and explored some really cool areas with my sister and and, and my parents. And um, there were, there were campers, so um, that is, that contributed to my hate of camping today. I, I never, he won't find me in a in a camper anymore. It's too hot and nasty and bugs. So we, we, we like uh, to stay in hotels and finer things, but, um, yes, but yeah, nonetheless, I was, uh, we were a camping family and, uh, had a good time.
1: Yes. That's uh, camping is not my, is not my bailiwick either. Not my, not my thing. So, <laughs> no. so, um, what did your mother do? She was a uh, nurse. So, yeah. Yeah,
0: she was a nurse and she, um, she started out in a local hospital. Uh, she was, you know, registered nurse. And so in the lower tiers of that, you basically worked swing shift and, um, she found those swing shifts when uh, trying to raise a young family. My sister and I just didn't work real well for uh, hard, raising yeah. us. Yeah. So it was pretty hard. She started to put her feelers out for another career and she, uh, for more regular office hours, really. And she was able to find a home at a local home health agency. So that's mm-hmm. where she would go into the home of the, of the patient and be able to care for them. And ultimately that career led to her, um, her desire and her passion to be a hospice nurse.
1: Interesting. And so this
0: would have been late eighties, uh, early nineties where hospice was just starting to be a thing. So for a you know, full definition, you know, hospice is kind of when. The healthcare industry says there's really not much more that we can do. We would really like to send you home, the patient home, uh, so they can be surrounded by loved ones and familiar surroundings.
1: Yeah, it's comfort care at that point.
0: Yeah, it's that comfort care. So it was there that my mom really found her unique ability and her passion to care for those who were transitioning from this life. To the next.
1: You know, it's interesting to me, uh, people who do that work, I have several friends that are chaplains in hospice, and they said, "Joe, it's just the most precious, intimate, sacred time to be mm. with someone in their last hours. Mm. And mm. to me, I'm just like, yeah, but I still don't want to be there.
0: I know. <laughs> of all the places not to be, uh, that, that might not be the place I'd want. Right.
1: To. But people who do that have gifts that um, yeah. I think are just angelic and just not not of the rest of us, I think. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. And ultimately what happened to mom is she kind of climbed the ranks of that. She became such, such a passion for her to, to provide that care that she um, ended up becoming the executive director of a hospice agency. Uh, excuse me, agency allergies. If I cough a couple of times, I'm apologizing. That's okay.
1: okay. I won't tell anybody you're smoking a big cigar while we're talking. Yeah.
0: You know, I (laughs) I wanted to be relaxed. So she became the uh, executive director of a hospice agency and that's where she spent really the balance of her career.
1: Wow. Was she satisfied with that work?
0: Very much so. Um, But I would say that um, as part of her story, um, it was around mid two thousands, I would say that electronic medical records so the famous acronym EMRs, yep. electronic medical records, really became a thing, and that really was solidified with with Obamacare. So in the mid two thousands, um, as they were trying to roll roll this out, one thing about Mom is that she was not technologically savvy, um, and so for that her to be frustration. able frustration, yeah, for her to be able to navigate a computer was just you know frustrating to her, and she found herself behind a desk more often than she was able to be bedside next to her patient. And this really began to to weigh on her toward the end of her career. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. So how old was she when she retired?
0: Well, um, the story goes that with the introduction of electronic medical records, um, she really began to face um, career burnout. And quite honestly, um, it was that thing that really was the catalyst for her to really explore the idea of retirement. Um, but obviously one of the first things you do when you want to retire is you ask yourself one main question, and that question is, do I have enough money, right? Mm-hmm. And um, I'm a financial advisor, and I've been in my career about 10 years at that point, but one of the things about family and business, we, we, we separated that, so I was not her primary financial advisor, um, but nonetheless, she went uh, along with my dad, and they went to their primary financial advisor, and um, they kind of laid out their their statements and their their net worth and their uh, investment investable assets in front of this person, and uh, the, the primary financial advisor whipped out their their software, their credentialing, their experience, and, and and the result was a green light. And she articulated to my parents that yeah, uh, you do have enough resources to be able to retire. Um, however, being ten years into the career. My mom respected what I did and really wanted to offer me the opportunity to provide a second opinion or a second set of eyes on her on her situation. And um, so, I I did the same thing. I whipped out my my software, my credentialing, my experience, and um, I actually came to the same conclusion. And I also gave her the green light. And I said, you know, you guys do have enough to be able to to check those financial boxes. And I also know my mom well enough, know you well enough. Uh, you are experiencing a lot of career burnout. And I think it would be a really good idea for you just to kind of um, pull the trigger to retire and allow that burnout to dissipate. And so um, at the age of 61, in the fall of 2010, um, she did pull the trigger to retire. Um, but one thing that uh, I know you're in are you in the Montana area or Wyoming? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Montana. One thing about October is uh winter is on the horizon right mm-hmm. and um what she found is that when she retired, the weather you know started to change the seasons mm-hmm. started to change it became very cold and dark and um this experience also kind of began to define the way her heart um, began to become cold and dark as well as she began to regret her decision to retire. Mm-hmm. Um, she felt as though she was um, kind of purposeless and had no meaning in her life. After she had retired from hospice, it became uh, her biggest regret instead of an exciting time that that typically retirement would have. Right. And about six months after she did retire on March 22nd, 2011, my mom, Pam Hickson, um, she chose to take her life. Mm. and um you know the 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 ripple effects of that are still being felt to this day
1: yeah um, absolutely but
0: as a but as a financial advisor who gave her the green light I, I can only assume you can imagine the amount of guilt and responsibility that i heaped upon my shoulders as right. as i uh, realized the decision she had made
1: did you feel like she struggled with any kind of emotional or mental instability before then i mean other than the burnout and the
0: no. Um, yeah. The answer is no, I didn't. Um, we didn't pick up on even my dad. You know. They were high My dad and mom were high school sweethearts. And this came as a complete shock to him as well. Um, we all knew that she was struggling with retirement, but we didn't know the, the depths of mental anguish and ultimately depression that had really taken over mm-hmm. and um, had really caused her to come to the final conclusion to end her life.
1: Yeah, I'm sorry to hear that. So, what is the swirl of emotions that happens around you? Talk about you know a little bit of guilt. Um, what other emotions uh, you know come up when you when you think about her and think about losing her?
0: Man, yeah. you know, uh, I, I can't define all the seven stages of grief, but um, I, I think they're fairly accurate. The first would have been complete um, complete denial that I had had I had seemingly had a hand in this. Um, I was the second set of eyes. I had given that green light. I had checked those financial boxes. Um, and quite honestly, Jill, I, I had the opportunity at that point to really go down the dark path myself uh-huh. um, to allow that um, the weight of that decision and that responsibility to allow it to define me um, and to become anxious and depressed myself.
1: Right. Um,
0: and quite honestly, to, to stop my career. Uh, I had given advice to a person that um that had ultimately ended their life. And it happened to be um, my mom. But far be it from me uh, as a person of faith to allow uh, a tragedy to define me. I I really saw it and prayed through um, how I could turn this tragedy into triumph and these stumbling blocks into stepping stones. And my goal, um, not right away, not at that moment, not the week after, but over time, um, God was gracious and was able to allow me to heal and to really um, turn this tragedy into a triumph and be able to share this story and adjust the way I offer financial advice to future retirees, to my current set of clients, to be able to help them mm-hmm. transition, not just from something, not retire from something, but to retire to something, something. Not, not just to make sure they have enough um, money to sleep at night, but enough purpose to get up in the morning.
1: Right. So, what do you think? Um, where was God in this situation? Where, where was He operational and um, had His hand in all all that happened after that?
0: Yeah. He certainly, He certainly gave me strength where I had none. Um, at that time, my uh, my daughters were five and three, and my wife was seven months pregnant with my son Everett. I'll always remember standing in the, uh, in the line at visitation and, uh, just knowing that I needed the strength to not only thank the people and greet them, but to be there for my, my kids and my wife as well. Um, my wife and I at that time had been married for uh, 12 years and she had stood by my side through, through thick and thin through starting a business and, and other, other things that you just, uh, that you just love about your spouse. And, um, this day was no different in that um, she was there to support and stand beside me as we greeted those that were in the line for visitation. Um, being seven months pregnant, I encouraged her several times to, you know, have a seat or go ahead and get something to drink. Or, um, but she um, she refused to, to leave my side. And um, later, later, I would find out that um, she just started to have contractions um, as she stood there beside me. Um, but she she continued there to to stay there um by my side to support me during this. Wow. So um not only did God show up um in me to be able to have the strength to get through this situa- situation, but um he used those around me to um support me when I when I couldn't do it myself.
1: Right. And to show grace and and mercy and in places where you don't always expect it, right?
0: Yeah, that's right. Yeah.
1: So, you know, you, you embarked upon this project of writing this book, which is retirement stepping stones. When did you decide to do that?
0: So I knew that um, I wanted to honor her, her life. Uh, I knew that this story uh, really helped to define the financial advisor that I, that I've become. And I know that only sitting across the table from my clients one-to-one I can only make so large of an impact. Uh, I wanted to really share the story with with a broader audience, and um, there was one time where I was being interviewed for a press release on 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 how a situation had changed my life. And as I was being interviewed by that by the writer of that piece, um, he basically articulated to me that there's a book inside you, you just don't know it yet. That was in 2017 and I kind of stuck that in the back of my mind thinking there's no way I'm an author. That sounds really hard and difficult and it um, is hard, (laughs) but, but nonetheless, I, I made a mental note, uh, fast forward to 2019 and knowing that, uh, 2021 was on the horizon, which would have been, which is the, or would have been the the 10 year anniversary of the celebration of her life. And I knew it, it would take some time to release that book. So, In 2019, I committed to put pen to page, and um, 35,000 words later, uh, I released the book in September of 2021.
1: That's amazing. Well, you know, we were talking a little bit off air, and I don't read every book that is sent to me. Mm -hmm. I was curious about this one, though, although I will have to tell you, every single one of my children that has come into my office is like, Mom, are you retiring? No, (laughs) I'm not retiring. I'm 50 years old. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they, they all think I'm retiring. But, um, you know, as I was telling Tony, um, before when we were talking, I think this is an excellent book and it's a great primer for people who are heading into retirement, considering retirement have recently retired. Um, I, I just think it, um, has some deep wisdom in it, um, from your felt experience. Um, so, um, how much do lack of structure and loss of purpose play in somebody's hopelessness and confusion in retirement?
0: Yeah, yeah, it's um you know it's that common common theme that when you are in the accumulation phase, you're saving toward retirement, you're saving toward that goal. Um, it's just built in that you have structure, you have routine, you have social connections with your office mates, and uh, you have purpose you get up in the morning to be able to go to work, do a good job, serve a purpose, go home satisfied and fulfilled. And um, during that accumulation phase, there is a certain point where you're ready to, to, to move on. You're ready to retire. And in um, in most of American culture, uh, vacation is, or retirement is viewed as a long-term vacation. Right. And so, uh, most financial advisors, if not all simply check those financial boxes. I was guilty of that as an advisor 10 years ago. Um, but I think we do a large disservice to our clients if we don't look at the non-financial side of retirement. And so the lack of structure, loss of social connections are things that aren't on a retiree's radar. It's, it's so far from their minds. They don't even know to ask the question. Mm-hmm. And so the impact. It's just that, more
1: about quitting work than it is about starting a different season in life.
0: That's correct. Yeah. So that loss of structure, those loss of social connections can be um, abrupt. They're, they're, they haven't been planned for most likely. And, um, it's, it's a statistic that actually depression rates in the first two years of retirement, you really begin to skyrocket and divorce rates within the first two years of retirement also skyrocket.
1: And the main
0: reason for that is that kind of, you were on a career track and perhaps your spouse was as, as well. And upon retirement, you've you're with each other all the time. And while that may have sounded fun on paper to actually live it out. Um, if there's no other stories to tell, you're, you're, you become bored with one another. Right. So um, being able to plan for the non-financial side of, of retirement is, is, is really critical.
1: Really key. So tell me about the unique ability mindsets.
0: Mm-hmm. When planning for the non-financial side of re- retirement, oftentimes we, uh, we seek to um, really engage the, the client on identifying what their values are. And basically, when you're engaged in a career, you're raising a family, you're trying to pay the mortgage, you're trying to climb the corporate ladder, perhaps earn more money, get a better title. That age old question of who am I? It's it, You're able to crowd that out very easily because you're just so busy.
1: Right. Or then tie upon, it to your title or tie it to your position. That's
0: it, that's it. And then all of a sudden, upon retirement, you're sitting there and you don't have as much to crowd out that question and all of a sudden it surfaces and you're forced to reconcile who are you who am i and without that structure or purpose in life sometimes it can cause a retiree to really become adrift so when we engage a client in asking those questions of of identifying your values oftentimes it goes back to identifying what their skill set what their unique ability really is and perhaps they had a desire to um, you know, teach kids how to read or volunteer at a local university or spend more time with grandkids or um, uh, you, you name the the things that come to mind for occupying one's time that had been crowded out by, by a career before. Uh, those are the times that we're able to not only identify the values, but identify the unique ability that where those can be lived out.
1: Mm-hmm. Good, good. Do you think people are afraid to ask the question, what have I ever always wanted to do to do or try? Hmm. You think that's a scary question for people?
0: I do. Yeah. Um, you're asking for, a, uh, because of a certain thing that's in your mind. I'd love to hear what do you think about the answer to that question? Why Why do you think people are afraid to ask that?
1: Well, I think people are afraid to ask because it's uncharted territory. It Mm -hmm. doesn't have, it doesn't have the fragrance of the familiar to it. Mm -hmm. And, and when you try something new and you begin um, a different stage of your life, you are not attached to your title your name badge Mm -hmm. or your position or your your paycheck, your, your paycheck or your company. All of a sudden you're kind of adrift and you're kind of a, you know, nobody from nowhere, except for, except for to your family. And I think people are afraid to take that step sometimes. Yeah. Um, at least that's, that's my experience, my observation. What do you think?
0: Totally agree with that. It's taking away that safety net of the paycheck and living off your accumulated assets, um, really removes any risk taking that a person might want to um, pursue. So, um, yeah, I am in total agreement that oftentimes those, um, those fears outweigh the desire to to go accomplish them.
1: Right. So, how do you help people come up with a financial plan for retirement? I know, you know, people have nest eggs set aside, they have investments and all of that. How do you begin to plan for the next anywhere from 40 to 60 years of their life?
0: Yeah, definitely it's a it's certainly becoming more and more challenging because people are retiring sooner and living longer. Right. Right So the accumulated um, investments have to be very significant to live in a 30 or 40 year retirement set. Uh, that's why we often you know we'll start with investable assets. we we want to see how young or old the person is and, and, and really plan for a really a, a long time in, in, in retirement mode. Sometimes, and it's becoming more and more often we we'll, we'll suggest what we call a plan B. And plan B is I've retired from my career, but yet I still possess a lot of skill sets. And I know that humanity still needs my skill sets. Plan B is to go ahead and re-enter the workforce and uh, be able to continue to, w- to contribute to society, society, find purpose, and earn some sort of an income even in retirement. Not full-time, maybe even less than part-time but it gives you that safety net to be able to not have to draw on your portfolio by near as much.
1: Hmm. Well, if I'm going to have things to um, invest and have any kind of liquid assets to invest, I'm going to have to sell the children.
0: I think, uh, I think they, they would go for a high price. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. You know, somebody actually, the total aside, somebody asked me one time, they said, Jill, you guys just love children. Have you ever thought about, about adopting any? And I mm-hmm. said, yes, but nobody will take them. <laughs> 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 My kids are like, mom, that's mean. I'm like, oh yeah. <laughs> you know, the other mm-hmm. thing that struck me, Tony, as I was writing this book is, um, and not to make it all about me, but you know, right now it is. Um, uh, Seven years ago, I went through a major mental crash. And part of that was um, I was running a consulting business. I had started a church. I had four teenagers at home. I had a photography Mm -hmm. business. I was just Mm -hmm. working myself just aggressively into the ground. But when I got sick, then it all of a sudden came to full stop. Like I was no Mm -hmm. longer anybody's pastor, no consultant. There were no Mm -hmm. phone calls. There were no Mm -hmm. emails. There was nobody checking in on me. And That season of life really was about what is my purpose? what am I doing here? Why do I even exist if I can't contribute to society? Mm -hmm. Why, why would I be created so I can sit like a lump on a couch and, you know, watch the light change during the day? You know, Mm -hmm. all of these things that are seasons that you go through when you go through a major life change. And I don't know, Mm -hmm. but that this book is applicable also to those changing seasons Mm -hmm. Um, because I found it. And maybe that's what kept me turning the pages is because I I found it encouraging in that way and, you know, finding your anchor in, in who you are and what you're uniquely created to do. So I, I kind of think it fits that mold too. What do you think?
0: I agree. And I'd be quick to ask, um, how did you get out of that funk?
1: Um, you know, a lot of therapy, (laughs) a lot of medication. Um, but, um, I also, um, you know, I have some pretty significant uh, mental health challenges. Mm -hmm. Um, but I also had to redefine myself. Like, um, I didn't have to be somebody's pastor to be somebody I'd been a pastor for 30 years. So I didn't know I'd been a pastor since I was 17. I didn't know anything other than that. Mm -hmm. And so, um, and so i had to let go of that and had to let go of you know consulting because i wasn't of good health to do that and and had to let go of photography because i couldn't be around that many people you know all mm-hmm. the time it was just too much stress for me yeah. and so eventually as i started to get a little bit better i found things that i could do that fit where I'm at in life. And I think that's really what it's all about is finding what fits you during that season. And for me, I've always been a writer, but I started writing vocationally and then Mm -hmm. started writing on some personal projects that I'm working on. And I've always wanted to paint. And I started to take all these online painting classes and all these, all these, um, you know, different, different, things and started watercoloring. And now I'm selling my work, you know? So it was finding something different that fit the season in my life rather than berating and belittling myself for what was gone. Um, Mm. I could celebrate, um, I could celebrate some of the beautiful things that happened during those season without Mm -hmm. having to pitch a tent and camp there.
0: And how did God show up for you in your, in your lowest points?
1: You know, in my lowest points, um, I would probably say the lowest point was um, when I was in, I was in a psych and trauma hospital for an extended stay and, and there it felt like God was so silent. It felt like there were so many things going on and so many things that were um that were, you know, focus on yourself, focus on yourself, focus on yourself, rather mm-hmm. than, you know, focus on God and what he's been do- done for you and how he's been good to you. And and mm-hmm. so um, that was a very, very dark, dark season. I knew that my faith was there. And I always had this sense that if nobody else in the universe was there for me, if it was just me and God, we were going to be okay. And I've had that kind of um, childlike mm-hmm. faith Um, since I was a little girl. Um, So even in the toughest circumstances under abuse and um, neglect and all of those, I just kind of knew that God was going to be there for me. So I never doubted that he was going to be, wasn't going to be there. I just couldn't feel him. And so I think God showed up for me in the way that people surrounded us and cared for us with meals and caring for the children and, and making sure that the accommodations I needed to go to like the kids' choir concerts were taken care of and, and, um, just really watching out for what, um, for what I needed to be able to function in society. Uh, because I spent, I spent about a year and a half where I pretty much stayed home all the time. So it was a rough, it was a rough season, but, uh, you know, I told somebody yesterday on a podcast, I feel like my faith at that point was kind of like a collapsed life raft. Like I can hang on to this thing and it's going to keep me afloat, but I'm not sure that it's going to stay forever.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Right. And so as I think through your story, compared to my mom's, um, you know, her career was in hospice. And so Mm -hmm. she sat bedside of countless patients who transitioned peacefully Mm-hmm. from this life to the next. And so in some demented way, she had made peace that death was the connector between her and God. And it wasn't a healthy decision and it wasn't a correct mindset, but that background of 20 years in the hospice industry in a very demented way became, became her way of making peace and entering yeah. into God's presence.
1: Interesting. What is the best thing she ever taught you?
0: Um, The best thing that she ever taught me is the value of hard work. Um, She somehow was able to raise uh, us uh, a family while being a full-time career woman. And she was there for us in the evenings to to make supper and and cared for my uh, my sister and I and and my dad really well. And so as I uh, embarked on this journey to be a financial advisor, we launched our firm in 2002, we're celebrating our 20th year anniversary this, this, uh, this August. And, um, you know, to, it takes a, a lot of work to, to start a new business as, as you're well yep. aware of with your consulting business and your photography yep. business. Very few companies survive the first, you know, three years, let alone. Right, 20. Right. So it's the the hard work ethic that she instilled into me, um, for, and, and my dad as well for all these years that I think has been able to, um, to really allow me to be, I guess in the world's eye is successful, but with that success comes the opportunity to help people. And she helped people um, obviously from a healthcare perspective and I'm helping them from a financial perspective. So I'm, I'm continuing her legacy beyond um, beyond the grave.
1: That's wonderful. Well, the book is retirement stepping stones and Tony, how do people find out more about it? Get a hold of it, find out more about you.
0: Yeah. Well, thanks for asking. Um, yeah, if you want to visit my website, tonyhixoncom forward slash book, um, it's available on any major online um, platform. Also, the book is available on audio as well. So tonyhixoncom forward slash book. Um, and for those of you, uh, for those of your listeners who are interested in continuing the conversation, um, I also release a weekly blog where mm-hmm. um, I could talk about Um, kind of that continued story from what the result of um, people who've been impacted from the book and also just some musings that I've had if you enjoy my style of writing I express that style of writing on my Friday blogs as well
1: yeah great great well um like I said I I don't I don't finish every book but I I certainly appreciated this one and and it spoke to me and I appreciate for your gift of just obedience and following through on on this mission so thank you so much
0: Thank you for having me. It's very nice meeting you. I uh, appreciate you having me on the platform.
1: Awesome. See you.
0: If you enjoyed this episode, we would love it if you would leave a review on your favorite podcast platform. You can find Jill at jillriley.com on Facebook at jillriley.author, Twitter at jill author, and Instagram at jillriley.author. Also, feel free to send Jill an email at jill at org. Thanks for listening in and have a great day.